0: Uh, get a copy of God's Word in front of you. Make your way over to Genesis 3 again this morning. Um, I put outlines sometimes in your bulletin, and uh, after consulting with our uh, illustrious pastoral intern this week, sometimes I, I will call or text him or, or John Dunning and just ask them these random questions. And anyway, uh, I decided to, to move the last two verses to next sermon We'll see if it turns out to be a good idea or not this week and two weeks from now. But uh, anyway, disregard that part. And I just tell you ahead of time, so you're not like, you never covered this at all. Yeah, I'm not going to. So that's, that's why. Um, so that means today we're looking at just four verses, just four verses. But these four verses are extraordinary. They, uh, they help us make sense of the world that we actually live in, our own real experiences, right? They explain why we why we struggle to bear children and why you struggle to raise children. And uh, these verses shine light on, on why there's often tension in your, your marriage and why some days you, you come home from work frustrated and exhausted because things haven't been going the way you really wish they would go. Uh, and these verses, they, they help us understand even, even just the fact that we, we get old. and We face disease and, and even the inevitableness that, that is death that we all face. Uh, and so while all these things, right, that we, you know, are, you know we wish weren't true, it's going to cover that, uh, things that we, we long for the Lord to reverse in, in, in the world, I, uh, I hope today as we go through this, I, I hope these verses help you understand uh, that the world is just not the way it's designed to be. This is not normal what we experience, not what it should be, not what it was and not what it will be. Uh, And to understand that even as God administers the consequences of the sin, you know, what what some have called just this injection of poison into the creation here, that that God is faithfully and and graciously working for eternal good, that even that has good purposes. Even if some days it it doesn't always feel like it. Um, So that... Let me just give you two, just a quick rundown. I know some of you haven't been tracking with us to know what's going on. It's one of those Thanksgiving time of year things. Uh, so real quick, let me just remind you, um, God told Adam very clearly, Genesis 2:17. he said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. After that, God created a uh, woman, and, and one day, while enjoying this bountiful provision of the Lord to her, to Adam, Eve has this conversation with a snake, a serpent, and it's actually uh, the devil. And uh, Eve, inaccurately in that conversation, shares God's one rule, which we just read a minute ago, right? Not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and contrary to God's actual words, and, uh, in Genesis 3:4, <clears throat> the serpent, Satan says, to Eve, you will not surely die. God says you will surely die. Eve says, or the the devil says you will not surely die. So she eats the forbidden fruit. Adam follows suit. Uh, And in the last two weeks, right, we've seen them shamelessly realize that they are naked. We've seen them try to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. We have seen them try to hide from God behind trees. We've seen God come and find them. And and last week, right, we, we saw the Savior did indeed come and find them. Uh, and he cursed the serpent. And so that's where we are. Now you're caught up. Uh, <clears throat> and today the Lord is speaking to the woman. The, the Lord is speaking to the man. Um, and, and listen, before we start, I, I want you to know this is, this is not just about Adam and Eve, okay? We are reading history, yes, but it has far reaching aspects here. It's about you, it's about your parents, it's about your children, it's about the person sitting next to you, whether you know them or not. Right? It's, you know, as the Apostle Paul in Romans 5.12 said, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. The things we're seeing happen to Adam and Eve happen to you and I. And there is a a living death, and there is a dying death. And in this passage, we see both aspects of of, of death. We see the uh, and and more than anything, though, what we see here is is that indeed the serpent lied to Eve. He lied when he said, you will not surely die. So let's uh, follow along as we read. Um, we're we're going to be right at Genesis 3.16. We're just reading these four verses. <clears throat> and just so you know, right at the very beginning, the word he, that's, that's God. I figured you'd get there, but just, you know, just in case. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are so easily distracted, so, so prone to mentally wander, so susceptible to drifting off into our to-do list, into song lyrics, to thoughts of lunch and football and what, whatever plans we have for this afternoon. Now, I know this myself oh so well. And so my prayer right now, Lord, Yahweh, is is this. Please empower us to listen and to hear. To listen and to hear. And inspire us with the truth of your word. Convict us of sin. Encourage us with the hope and the grace of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. First. God speaks to the woman. He speaks to, to Eve, who is not named until the passage we look at next week, but to, to, to Eve. Uh, and notice, and it'll be true of Adam after this as well, but, but the consequences of the fall for Eve, uh, the consequences of sin for, for the woman, for the wife, uh, are experienced primarily in, in her two primary areas of responsibility here. Uh, that of childbearing and that of being a helpmate to Adam. And I know, that's going to sound weird to some of you. Uh, Sadly, because uh, our culture today foolishly devalues these two amazing aspects of womanhood, I I feel the absolute need to explicitly uh, tell you, say, what you and I both already know simply from living in this world, and and that is this, right? Uh, That women contribute to society, to family, to church, to academics, to business in so many vast and meaningful ways. All this besides being a helpmate to her husband. All this besides uh, bearing and rearing of children. So, you know, women, don't be chauvinistic, right? Sorry. um, Don't be chauvinistic or, you know, the... I'm losing my mind today. (laughs) You ever had that day where your brain just doesn't click? That's kind of where I'm at today. So this might happen a lot, just so you know, where you look at your notes and you're like, I think I know what that means, but I don't know what that means sometimes. Um, it, it's this, I think on two ways, we end up with this chauvinistic view that, that looks at women, right, and, and even women can hold this, that's like, okay, that's the only value right here, you're seeing it right there, listed two things here, uh, and you can also take the other view, right, that just just looks at this as, as none of that stuff's important, right, so don't, don't believe the cultural ridiculousness that there's no value in bearing children or being a helpmate to your husband. And I'll, I'll tell you why, right? You listen, today there are 7.8 billion people on the planet right now. In the history of the world, it is believed that there, are, there have been over 100 billion souls on this planet in the history. And, and as men, we have contributed. Do you know how many we've contributed? We've contributed zero of those babies. That's how many we've contributed. That is quite a big gap, Right? I don't see Caleb, our resident mathematician here, but <clears throat> I think even he would confirm this statistic. hundred percent of the birthing of babies has been accomplished by women. hundred percent. Now then, uh, what does God say to the first woman? What, what will be the consequence of her sin here? And first God says this, you see it in your passage before you, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And then there's incredible irony to that word multiply here, right? If you flip back maybe a page or, or just look back to Genesis 128, you see that God, when he was instructing Adam and Eve, and, uh, and I quote this, right, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And now he says to Eve, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. This an inherently joyous aspect of life for her is now infiltrated with incredible pain. And I probably don't have to tell you, but for most of history, and, and to a far lesser degree today, uh, caring and delivering a baby was an incredible threat to the life of a mother. Even today, with, with epidurals and other pain-relieving advances that help mitigate the pain of, uh, of labor and birthing, right? The pain is so great that, that every man who has ever made a joke in the presence of the woman on this quickly regrets it. <laughs> if you don't believe me, try it today. See how well it goes. We won't see you for a while. <laughs> now, the pain that God speaks of here speaks of here goes beyond, far beyond, the uncomfortableness that is a child in your womb for nine months. It goes beyond the, the nausea, beyond the swollen everything, beyond contractions, beyond pushing, beyond the physical pain in the moment. You see, the Hebrew word here for pain, it's the same one that we're going to see later in verse 17 when it's talking about uh, Adam and, and the toiling and, and, and the farming that it's giving this picture of, right? Which, which includes all those aspects, preparing the soil to, to planting the seed to harvesting the crop. It goes the whole process and everything that, that, that is into that, not just the moment of, you know, sticking the seed in the ground or whatever. So to, to use the elegant words of, of the British pastor, Alistair Payne, he says, one of life's most sublime joys will also cause the woman some of her deepest worries and sorrows. And, and that does not begin and stop at the moment of childbirth. Anyone who's ever had children knows this already. You see, ever since the curse, there is a, a physical and emotional pain in, in having and raising children. There is the heart-wrenching pain in the struggle to conceive a child to begin with. That Many of you have and still understand this agony. There, there is distress, and the sleep deprivation, and the exhaustion in the, the, the short months following the birth of the child. Some of you are enjoying that right now. There, there is the painful, emotional toil as your children grow, as you, as you see them facing all the pains that this sin-stained world has to offer them. As you see them struggle, as you see them make harmful and, and, and sinful decisions, as you see them confused, as you see so many things they do and things that actually happen to them. And so mothering is this wonderful gift of the Lord, it is, and that remains true even after the fall, and you know that, but, but now it is to be laced with the consequences of sin. And, and, and as we're going to see in every one of these, these consequences today, the, this pain is, is not exclusively, does not exclusively remain on to the woman. You see, m- men also feel the ache of fertility struggles. They also feel the anguish of raising children. It it spreads far beyond even where it begins. Now, while the initial aspect of the curse affected woman in her capacity as a mother, the the second aspect that we see here of the curse pertains to her role as a wife. Uh, We see this in the second half of verse 16. You've got it right there before you. It says, Your desire shall be for your husband. So when I read this as, as a teenager, many of you know I came to faith right around 16, 17 uh, in my teenage years. And when I first read this, my thought was this. Oh, that's sexual desire. That's what's happening here. I thought that it meant, despite the promise and the threat of pain and childbirth, that the woman is still going to have this irresistible desire to have sex with their husbands. And, and, and hopefully that's, that's true of your marriage, right? Now, now listen, right? You know, teenage me isn't the only person who actually interpreted it that way. It's a very common way to do it. And, and here's why. I'll walk you through this. The, the, the Hebrew word that's translated as desire here is this word tesequah. Uh, and it shows up only two other places in all of the scripture. And, and one of those places is in the Song of Solomon. Which, by the way, is the thing I always advise Zach and Jeremy to preach on. And so far, neither of them have ever taken us up on it. <clears throat> so it, it, it's about love, right? Song of Solomon. It's about sex, you know? Uh, in, in Song of Solomon 7.10, the young wife is speaking, and she says confidently of her husband, I am my beloved, my, my beloved, and, and his uh, tesequa, right? That's the Greek, or Hebrew word. His desire is for me. I am my beloved, and his desire is for me. And, and, and just in case you're a little confused here, right, the context of this is right after her husband has been talking about, and I quote, her clusters of the vine, right? So, so that's what's happening here. The desire here means sexual desire. And so surely we read that, we understand that, you think, okay, your teenage you was absolutely right. This, this is about sexual desire in Genesis 2, right? Well, um, listen, Genesis 3.16 is a very controversial sentence, Uh, So much so that uh, how many of you, when I read the passage this morning, thought, oh, he's reading it wrong, or he read it from a different translation because it doesn't actually match up with mine. Just quick, I'm curious. Okay, a few of you are like, my pastor can't read good, which is probably true. Um, Anyway, right, Uh, because in yours it, it says this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband." See, my Bible is, is from way back when I was young, 2001. It's the first edition of the ESV. Uh, so it's way back there. Well, in 2016, C- Crossway updated the translation. And, and they did so <clears throat> because so many people were wrongly understanding this passage in the same way teenage version of me had done so. Now, to be fair, even in my 2001 verse, there's a little like, thing there, and you follow it down there, and it words it pretty much the way that they ended up updating it to Uh, in 2016 so anyway you're wondering now right why does the translation go from it seems like quite a big swing here right from from sexually desiring her husband to the impulse of the wife to go against him well i i told you there were two instances of this this hebrew word in in the scriptures and the one we saw in the song of solomon the other one is quite a bit closer i don't even think you're going to have to turn your page if you just look at genesis 4 verse 7 here <clears throat> Here is God speaking to Cain, Cain who is angry, uh, and, and do you see what God says to him? He says, God says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Uh, and now take notice, right, how similar this next part, the wording is to the passage we're looking at today. God continues, uh, and I'm going to read from the 2001 translation first, and then I'll, I'll do a newer one. Um, it's Talking about sin, its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. And your updated version says its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, it's not a big stretch for you to look at this and think and realize, right, that sin here is not romantic, right? This is not a sexual desire from sin here. God God is saying, Cain, sin wants to exercise dominating control over you. It wants to rule you. It wants to drive you, be the driving force behind you. Um, you start starting to understand Genesis 3.16 and this change now. I, I, I think, if I'm honest, I liked my teenage version a lot better. That didn't feel like much of a curse at all. Um, but, but alas, the, the proper understanding is that, that his wife, this wife, will now experience the curse of the fall by, by this desire, this impulse to dominate, to control her husband. Those of you who are wives, have you experienced this? Is this hit with reality for you? Husbands, do you, do you understand this on any level? Have you seen this in reality? Now, you, you see verse 16 ends with, but he shall rule over you. And the idea here is that the husband's rule, his, his leadership role, was, was meant to be gracious. It was meant to be gentle. It was meant to be loving. Uh, but now the, the temptation is that, that his leadership will become some kind of heavy-handed leadership. Now, in the grace of the gospel, we know that that this is not true in every marriage. But but I expect you've seen this in the world. Women uh, seeking to control a relationship and men uh, responding or leading with anger and harshness. Uh, Susan Foe explains it this way. She says, These words mark the beginning of the battle of the sexes. As a result of the fall, man no longer rules easily. He must fight for his headship. Sin has corrupted both the willing submission of the wife and the loving headship of the husband. The woman's desire is to control her husband, to usurp his divinely appointed headship, and he must master her if he can. And so the rule of love founded in paradise is replaced by struggle, tyranny, and domination. In other words, the fall has, has added this, this tension to the gift of marriage. And yet, this, this aspect of the curse, hear me out, the, this aspect of the curse does not describe how God intends for our marriages to work, to function. It simply explains this tendency to behave like this. But it does not give us permission to do so. In other words, women, this is not an excuse to try and control your husband, your future husband. And men, this does not, not give you the right to, to, to be harsh with your wife, your, your future wife. And men, I'll, I'll tell you this from, from counseling experience, right? And other just conversations. We make this struggle for our wives more difficult When we abrogate the responsibility to lovingly lead. In fact, I hear that far more often than the harshness even. It is when we are passive, when we are ungodly, and uh, when we create a situation where wives, you know, reasonably so, feel the need to take control. And and let me add here, this is not instruction, right? Again, uh, not just, you know, it does not give permission for husbands to force their wives to submit, It's important because a lot of people get this wrong, right? In fact, in Ephesians 5.22, where Paul gives that, you know, not always appreciated statement, you know, wives, submit to your own husbands. Uh, Take notice who that's spoken to. Wives, right? Comma. Wives, comma. That's who it's spoken to. And and so this is given to her that she willingly submits herself to her husband. It's not instructing husbands to make sure their wives submit. And surely our passage here in Genesis is, is in Paul's mind because just like submitting addresses the temptation of a wife to, to rule over her husband, Paul also addresses this temptation for husbands to be harsh to their wives when, when he instructs them saying, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We can get down a really big rabbit hill here. Rabbit trail here if we're not careful. Um, So so listen to this, right? This verse explains why marriage can be difficult. But I also want you to know through the gospel that God empowers you and calls you to push against these sinful tendencies on both sides and challenge you to evaluate your own heart and in in what ways are these results of the fall do you see flourishing in your life maybe? And and then we we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into wholehearted repentance, wholehearted uh, obedience to God's word in this area. And what does that look like? Now let's let's move on to the Lord here addressing Adam. Verse seventeen. I promise it goes a little faster than we'll, we cover one verse so far. Um, and here God gives a reason. <clears throat> it's another really popular verse. You know, people get tattooed uh, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat it. Right. That's the reason that this this cur- this. Uh, the consequences of Adam's sins are coming. So, And, and again, right? Drop, drop all your feminist presuppositions, drop all your chauvinistic conjectures here. The, the point here is not that he listened to his wife in general. Listening to one's wife and you is usually a very good idea. The point here is that he listened to the voice of his wife instead of listening to the voice of God. Now... You know, God intentionally points this out right here at the beginning because God is pointing out how Adam has neglected to lead his wife, how he's neglected to protect his wife. And instead, he has followed her into sin. He has obeyed the voice of his wife instead of obeying the voice of the Lord. Yeah, I said it kind of twice in two ways on purpose here. Now, um, <clears throat> we get to the results of the fall on, on man here. And first he says he says to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Okay? So the serpent was Cursed. And, and now we're seeing the ground is cursed. But notice Adam and Eve themselves are never cursed. God does not curse them. We will see the, the, the cursing of Cain later, in a couple of weeks, but, but not here. So, uh, furthermore, in the, in the same way the fall affected the woman's primary areas of responsibility, uh, we are seeing here that the fall also corrupts Adam's primary areas of responsibility. Right after God created Adam, back in Genesis 2.15, God put Adam in this wonderful, beautiful, lush garden, and he gave him some instructions. He said, you are to work this garden, and you are to keep this garden. Remember we talked about that? That's all, he's work, he's to work. Uh, And the other part was to protect. Uh, And and from this moment, Adam is learning that from now on, the ground you work will be cursed. And and what that cursing means, God goes on to explain, just in case, you know, Adam's like, could you go back to the... All right, so he says this, he says... In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Uh, And this last bit might remind you, right? There's a phrase in our culture, used to be an older phrase, you know, but, you know, Bob fixes your car, and you say, thank you, Bob, and he says, no sweat, right? Right? What he means is this was incredibly easy to do. Don't worry about it. Well, here we are told that getting the ground to produce food is hard. It is lots of sweat. And anyone who's ever attempted this knows this, right? Uh, every year, Laura plants this garden in our backyard, and it seems to get a little bigger every year, and it requires all these things. In fact, it begins with this tilling of the ground every spring. and some reason, John Fregon ends up tilling the ground, which I am perfectly okay with. <clears throat> uh, and then it requires this, this planting, and it requires watering almost every day, probably every day. Uh, it requires ripping out the weeds, because weeds have no problem growing in a garden for some reason. Uh, and, and in the end, we get, we get tomatoes, we get some peppers, we get a few other things, a lot of it really pathetic looking stuff. Um, and every year at that point, Laura laments about how much work she has put into this to get this little bitty harvest of what it is because we'll go down to the farmer's market and she's like, this is so much easier. Here's my money, you know, and you just get it that way. Um, and, and yes, right, which points to another thing. Farmers have figured out, right, they have figured out how to bring food from the ground with research. They have done so with machines and all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and it's wonderful, but all this effort they've had to do is because of the fall, and it seems normal to us. We just think that's how crops are. That's, a, that's what it is. And yet, here we're getting this picture, right, that, 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 I mean, can you imagine before the fall how easy it was to get a bountiful harvest with absolute minimal effort? It's like when I watch my kids plant stuff on video games, and 30 minutes later, they go, look at all this food I got. Now, you know, the, the, the ground is, is going to, it, it, will, it will give produce, right, right? Um, but, but what we're finding here is that what it's going to do with ease now is thorns and thistles, weeds, right? But, but not food. That's not going to come easy. Man Man's going to have to work very hard to provide this nutritious, and by the way, plant-based feed, feast here, right? Uh, that's right. They eat no meat before the fall. We've seen this twice now. Uh, and I know some of that, that panics. Does that mean there's no meat in eternity? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe impossible meat. Maybe meat. I don't know. So, just don't give up hope yet. Uh, anyway, the, the ground that was a, a joy to work now becomes this source of frustration and becomes this, this source of pain for Adam. In a sense, the earth has actually become his enemy. Now, this, this, this curse of the ground, again, extends to the wider uh, creation, first of all. It includes things like, like floods, like hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis and Things like other things that are miserable, like cold air. Just kidding. I can't blame the winter on that, but I'd like to. Uh, for real, though, right? the earth bears the curse. It really does. And, and, and that's one of the things we, we miss is that it, it's not just the way it's affected us as humanity. Right? But it has affected the entire world that we live in. Romans 8, right? Paul tells us that the whole creation is in bondage to corruption. And he says the creation is groaning as it awaits redemption. Right? Something is not right. The ground is cursed. And so listen. Right? This is, this is so easy to demit, dismiss. Because for most of us, getting food is incredibly easy. Because we're not growing it. Right? We don't live off the garden and we grow every summer. Right, you you get food by asking mom for food, or or by filling a shopping basket, or, you know, ordering a burrito on your app. Um, All of this, you swipe a plastic card, and it shows up. And so you need to see, right, that at the heart of what God is getting at is is this creation mandate that that work of all sorts is going to be hard, and that's something you can understand. Work is going to be frustrating, and and not just for men. Just like the pain of a bearing and rearing children bleeds over to men just, just like you know the, the strife in her marriage becomes the strife in his marriage so, so does the pain of work bleed into the lives of women whether that's the, in the, the care of a, a literal garden or a financially providing career in the words of Kent Hughes painful toil will assault every soul who attempts to produce in this world and I don't have to tell you that but I will, right? The work you do is difficult. Technology fails. Your bosses frustrate you. Your coworkers even scheme against you. Buildings break. Clients lash out. Paperwork overwhelms. You can probably make this list much longer, right? The curse makes sense to our real life experience. And with so much of the pain and the frustrations, right, uh, of your work days, you begin to, to see, right, here is, is why. Come, Lord Jesus. And this brings us to our last little bit. And i got to tell you here, I have, this, I have this friend who every time that something bad happens in his life, usually, you know, 99 out of 100 times it's something very minor, right? Like the ice cream slips off his cone or something like that. Uh, and, and in that moment he says, and, and I'll class this up for you a little bit, but he says, life stinks and then you die. Uh, and I always kind of laugh at it, because in the context, it's like, yeah, you, you, it's really tough life you're living here, uh, right? But at the same time, I, you know, if he were serious, I think, what an awful view on life that is. And uh, I, I can't help but think, though, right, that it's, it's actually a fairly accurate summary of our last verse today. Not like NASB accurate, more like the message accurate, but, but accurate yeah, nonetheless, right? Listen to verse 19. By the sweat of your face, face you shall eat bread... Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Right? Life is difficult and and then you die. You can see this, right? Um You see what verse nineteen does fail to say here, right? That the the rest of the scriptures fill into us so that we don't have this mindset uh, that life stinks and then you die here is that that life is beautiful. Yeah, you know, yes, this side of the fall it's painful at times. Conceiving can be a struggle. Raising children can be very, very difficult. It can be heart-wrenching at times. Singleness can leave you lonely, but so can marriage in the midst of conflict. Work is going to frustrate you. All of these areas of your life can, can also fill you with joy, though, right? Life, even after the fall, is a gift of God to you. It, it's true. Life is filled with thorns and thistles, but life is also filled with this, this fragrant blooming of the rose, when you, you hear what I'm saying here, you, you, can, you can look at the flowering stem and say this is a thorn bush, but, but there's also good biblical reasons to call it a rose. Now today, you, you, you and I, we, we push against the consequences of the fall, and that's a good thing. It's not rebellion to do so. It's, it's not wrong for you to lessen the pain of childbirth or seek to, right? It's not wrong for a, a husband and wife and the power of the Holy Spirit and submission to, the, to God's word to love and respect each other. It, it is good to work hard and to rejoice when you, when you see all your toil actually create something wonderful, to be productive, to have good results. This is all very good. Rejoice in that. Now then, at, at this point, I think it's fair to say, so where's the grace in all this, right? It seems like all through Genesis and everywhere we're seeing the grace of God, where is it? Well, for starters, God doesn't just end humanity and move on. Right right after the sin, it can be like, this is, you guys are the worst. We're just done with you. He, he could have done that. He doesn't, right? It's, it, it, and so while life is, is more painful and, and difficult, we as humanity, we, we, we go on. We can still fulfill the, the creation mandates. We can still have dominion over the earth and, and be fruitful and multiply. It's just going to be a lot harder. So secondly, I, I hardly touched on it, but in verse 19, we see that the sin of Adam ha- has given rise to death. In this we see an awful reversal of the creation, whereas previously God had created man from the dust and breathed life into him, now we are seeing that the the breath of life will leave man and his body will decay back into the dust from which it came. You don't have to live long in the world to understand the sorrow that is death, when breathing ceases, when uh, hearts stop beating, when people young and old die, when you realize and that the moment when you're not distracted by your phone or something right that oh i will die too so where is the grace of god here that's a fair question so here's the good news right our story our history it doesn't end here in genesis 319 let me give you a little visual aid here right here's genesis 319 here's the rest of the scriptures Here's the rest of the story that the Lord is working. The rest of the history of redemption. See, and in the rest of the scriptures, the promise, promise of Genesis 3.15, it grows into the promise fulfilled in Jesus. So yeah, this is the history of redemption. All will be made right. The curse will be reversed. Even the curse of death. In Romans 7.24, the Apostle Paul asks this question. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's the question every one of us has to come around to ask ourselves. You know, wretched person that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer, you know, for sure isn't Adam. And the answer isn't me, and the answer isn't you yourself. We we can't do it, but there is one who uh, willingly has the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Life is hard, right? Life is filled with pain, filled with suffering, relational sorry, work frustrations, and... You know, God, you know, the, the good story here that we're seeing, right, the, the history of redemption here is that God is going to put all things right. It's bigger than the curse of the fall. There's also moments of joy in life, relational bliss, work successes. Uh, and Christians, there is redemption that Christ has accomplished for you. Now I want to end today with just reading a, a short passage from Second Corinthians four, sixteen through eight. Uh, 18, and then we'll, we'll just pray here. It says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And we'll stop there today. Let's pray. Mighty and gracious Lord, we still feel the weight of this first sin. We feel it with the struggles to conceive. We feel it in the, the labor of childbirth. We feel it in the cursed ground that grows weeds so easily, and yet... Fresh veggies, only with great effort. We feel it in frustrations with technology and projects, in conflict with coworkers. We feel it in our parenting. We, we feel it in all of the, how long, O oh Lords, in our life. We feel it in our pleading prayers to you for re- relief. We feel the fall, and yet, work does get done. And the ground does produce potatoes, the network does send the emails, and, and more than all of that, Lord, you have clothed us in the righteousness of Christ, and that means the most important birth has occurred, and the most significant work has been completed by our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. Holy Spirit, make us to find genuine rest in Jesus our Lord. And as we enter into this cultural week of thanksgiving, Lord, fill us with a deep appreciation for all the gifts of life, and especially for the gift of eternal life in Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.